0: It's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And we are here with your tales of true crime from the days of yore, and the days of my, and the days of theirs. (laughs) (laughs) I just turned that into a pronoun. Okay. So we are starting something super interesting and fascinating over on the Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we're gonna start digging into a potential serial killer in the 1910s around Chicago. Not the man from the train, not the axe murders, there's no axes involved thus far. This is one that they never even called a serial killer. They only speculated, and it was before serial killer was really part of the lexicon, so they only speculated that the cases may be connected, but I'm telling you they're so close geographically and so similar in the methods and in the locations and different aspects of them that they've got to be connected. So we're going to be digging down deep into these for our bonus episodes over the next couple weeks, month. We don't really have a specific plan. It all depends on what we find. Yeah. If you have been interested in the Patreon, now is the time because this is going to be a very exciting period as we dig into this case that has really been lost to time. Or these cases, rather, and see what else we can find in the area. Because honestly, I I wouldn't be surprised if there are more. There probably are. There probably are. We just got to look in the right places, and that is going to be fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, you'll hear more about the Patreon in uh, an ad break later. But for now, we're going to talk about a man named Return. Yes, that's right, Return. Jonathan Miggs Ward. It a very strange first name. Now, here's the thing about the name there was a return Jonathan Miggs, who was a respected Ohio politician in the early 1800s. And Ohio is where we mostly see the subject of our case today, return Jonathan Miggs Ward. Uh, I'm unsure if there's any relation, but their family history of that politician states, it is said that Jenna Miggs had persistently asked his sweetheart, Hannah Willard, for her hand, only to be repeatedly refused. He came one last time, was again refused, and turned to go, saying he would not ask again. At this, the lady called to him to return, and I will marry thee, thus the name of one of their children. It's strange because if you look on Find a Grave, there are a ton of return Migs with various last names in the 1800s and 1900s in Tennessee, West Virginia, Missouri. Huh. Yeah, it's just a weird, weird thing. There's a ton, and not in the sense that you would find John's or Charles's, just in the sense that you wouldn't expect to find the name Return. Yeah, especially not several times over. hmm So this particular Return, Jonathan Miggs Ward, was born in 1850 in Erie County, Ohio. He was the youngest of seven children of Jared Ward and Hulda Collins. His mother, Hulda, died when he was two, Now, as far as his father, unlike many men of the era, he didn't find another wife to take care of the kids or even, you know, rope in a family member. Instead, he sent the kids out into the world. So according to the Buffalo Courier, that means that Return Ward grew up, quote, without the fostering care of a mother or the ordinary circle of family affection. So with Erie County being right there by, of course, Lake Erie, there was plenty of work to be had on ships, even for a nine-year-old. So at that age, Ward was sent off to be a cabin boy and or cook on a ship. But then that ship was sold, and they basically just dumped everybody off the ship and said, all right, you're on your own now. Good luck, homies. Yeah, have a good time. So this nine or ten-year-old was on his own in Erie, Pennsylvania. Woohoo! shout out. And first he made friends with some other boys who took him in for a few weeks. And then finally he managed to find work on another ship. And the captain there was a pretty nice dude who took it upon himself to look after Ward until they could find his family, which seemed to happen by accident. And there's no clarification or delving into that. It's just like, oh, and then he accidentally found his father again. (laughs) Not that that was a great thing. Well, it didn't work out for him. No, not really, because uh, his dad returned return. <laughs> Maybe that's why they named him that. Nope, return to sender. <laughs> yeah, this one, uh, I don't think this one's going to fly. Let's, let's return it. So his dad sent him right back out again, and now he had to do manual labor. He got rheumatism, and so that kind of quashed his hard labor prospects, as it, you know the rheumatism particularly affected his feet. Which isn't the worst news in the world to hear? Like, I, I'm sorry, you can't perform hard labor anymore. Oh, I'm heartbroken. It sucks that a line of work is out of the question for him, and it sucks having any sort of, you know, d- disabling health condition. Hi, <laughs> you
1: know? But th- this is like shocking to me because when this rheumatism happened, it like permanently de- deformed his feet mm-hmm. at 13. Yeah. 13. What? what a life you have already led to have a debilitating thing happen to you by 13 due to hard labor.
0: Yeah. Like, wow. And it would be a chronic medical issue for the rest of his life. So his next position was apprenticing as a blacksmith under his brother-in-law. This was not exactly conducive to, in this particular situation, associating with people who would be a good influence, or as the papers put it, quote, meeting with very rough fare and mingling with very loose company. They're loose, Amber. Loose. They're loose. And this was also when he became known for his wild temper. He did not like it when people stood up against him, when he didn't get his way, when things didn't follow his particular specific plan. And that's going to become a problem. Yeah. So in 1835, at age 20, he found his career. Tailoring. All right, that's good. Probably don't need to stand up a whole bunch. Yeah, you can sit down, put your feet up,
1: sew some stuff.
0: Sure, yeah. Put a podcast on. (laughs) And so he started as an apprentice and stayed with the same mentor for six years. But that dude was pretty religious and return didn't go for that. And eventually, he couldn't really deal with being preached to anymore, so he went to Mansfield, Ohio. Seems like his dad was living around that area. Uh, This was about 40 to 50 miles from where the family started out in Erie County. Ward continued his troublesome path. There was fighting, a little bit of arson, some assault and battery, and then finally, after all that, jail time. Yeah. I mean about time for the jail time I would say. Now despite this reputation that he had developed as not the town's greatest dude, he met a lady and they fell in love. Her name was Sarah Lamson. Now, some girls just want a bad boy they can fix, I guess, because she was all about him at this point in time. And, uh, oh my gosh, I saw a wonderful cross-stitch today that was very suitable for that. It said, uh, unless he's wearing diapers, you can't change him.
1: Uh, well, and that's the truth. So, like, I have a description of Ward that I just want to throw out there. Bald, squat, bull-necked with a foul mouth, violent temper, and sinister countenance. Before he met Sarah, he had found another lady friend who was saving herself from marriage. So he goes... All right, I'll marry you. She puts out, he dumps her. <sighs> what
0: a catch.
1: What a catch he is, indeed. Most eligible bachelor in Ohio. Well, and then Sarah's no better. I mean, God love
0: her. What was she thinking? She's, she's got a, a rough road ahead. Her father obviously did not approve of this, and he was a pretty successful farmer, and she ran off married Ward despite her father's say-so, and soon after that, he died, and he had had enough time, I guess, to amend his will because he sort of disinherited her. He left her only $200, which is $6,700 today, but it was to be given to her in 10 years, which is, I think, his way of saying, yeah, I give it 10 years at most. At most, yeah. So the couple moved to a town called Richland in Southern Ohio, and he started running the Eagle House Tavern. Now, let's fast forward to 1851. Running a business, especially a small business, can really be the death of you. Not for return Ward, but for a peddler, he knew. Ward found out that the guy, Noah Hall, had a bunch of money stashed away because every year he would make his trip to New York. Probably, I assume, to go and buy a whole bunch of stuff to come back and sell. Yeah. And so Ward went over to Noah Hall's store one night, bashed his head in with a poker, grabbed a pillow, and suffocated the dude. He made off with $800 or close to $31,000 today. And really... Um I mean everybody is starting to point the fingers at these two irishmen except Sarah his wife Sarah knew.
1: Well okay so here's the sitchie. Noah is a regular at the the bar, the tavern. Mm-hmm. He eats dinner there every night. Noah and his wife were not getting along so he was sleeping in the shop and eating dinner every single night over at the Ward's Tavern. Mm-hmm. And so they're friends. Yeah. And this was mind blowing to me that they were friends. And then, what's even more mind blowing is when Ward goes in, he lies in wait for hours, and Noah is asleep. He's asleep.
0: You could just take his money and be out. Yeah, absolutely. Any minute now, just grab the money, dude's snoring away, Walk, waltz out the door, you're gonna be fine. There was
1: literally, he, he wasn't trying to stop Ward. He, he wasn't even aware that
0: Ward was there. There was literally no reason to kill him. Yeah, I do believe that there was bloodlust in here. That it was just a thing that popped into his head and, or maybe, you know, Noah had said something to him that pissed him off and he had that violent temper and he was just like, eh, you know, I could leave him alive, but why? Why would I? And then he just did this because he's he's a freaking psycho. So, like, it really boils down to that. I mean, the man killed somebody who was his regular and his friend. That would be like, it went back in the days when when you were waitressing at Denny's and I was a regular. You came to my house one night and you were like, bash my head in and steal my money.
1: trying to think if we had any rich friends back then. I don't think we did. Yeah, but I drove the Audi. That we got for cheap. Oh, you you probably should have been my first victim. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Come to think of it. (laughs) So,
0: we got it for really cheap. It was a mistakenly listed price. But, you know, gotta sell it for the price you advertised it for, even if it's for the price you got it for at auction. So, um, everybody thinks it's these two Irishmen because, well, you know. They're Irish, (laughs) and it's that time period when if something bad happened in town, it must have been the people who came from another country, obviously. Daniel Myers and Thomas McGarvey. Of course, they sound like like criminals. They sound like immigrants is basically what it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) And then therefore, to the ears of the people back then, they sounded like criminals. To everybody except Sarah. Quote, from the Buffalo Courier. From the first, she believed Ward was the murderer, and though he steadily denied it and charged it on the two Irishmen... It did not shake her conviction that he was the guilty one. The Buffalo courier then stated that she thought so much about it that she, quote, became deranged and had to be sent to the asylum.
1: She's a fucking genius if this was deliberate. <laughs> I need to say this. So this is not a time you can't really get a divorce. Yeah. Right? But you can go crazy. Mm-hmm. What if this was a deliberate, like, I need hmm. to get the fuck out out crazy card. I mean, you're you're going to get put in a safe place, padded room maybe, you're going to get three hots in a cot and you get the fuck away from your
0: psychotic husband. Okay, but there was a lot of torture also that went on in the asylum, so maybe it wasn't the best. But maybe <laughs> not this one. Yeah. Uh, it was it was if it was on purpose, it was a last resort, but it's not like she had too many other resorts to go to. I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Because I I wrote in my notes, um, she started suffering from unspecified mental illness and ended up being shipped off to the asylum. And then I I put in parentheses, quote, that was pretty much the fate of 30% of women anyhow. And I was like, I know that's probably not the exact number. I was like, well, let me look around and see if I can find the number. I didn't find the number. I'm sure there's no number that's actually reliable. But I found some really interesting stuff. There was this paper, quote, lunacy in the 19th century. And here is something from that, quote, Women were deemed insane in cases such as a woman who experienced delusions, uncontrollable fits of laughter without cause, the feeling of being inclined. (laughs) I'm going away. No, just wait. The feeling of being inclined to do mischief. Oh, yes. You're
1: a goner. I'm actually shocked. If I was alive (laughs) in this time, I would have been burned as a witch, I'm certain. And a
0: tendency to use abusive language toward others. Oh, fuck that. Insane by Childbirth is a fun one listed on some patient lists. That's probably either, as you can imagine, uh, PPD or maybe even just having 11 children. There were two women on this one list of patients that there were only like 10 or 15 patients on the list that had 11 children. Wow. There was also a woman with eight children, age 57, deemed insane by overwork and domestic trouble. Can I be on that
1: list? I feel like I, I go there.
0: I feel like a lot of us would have been on that list for sure. Yeah. Or or a list that we might have been on is the list of women who were deemed morally insane because they liked to read. Oh, yeah. I'm on that list. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if, if they realize I read a lot of porn, how <laughs> oh. that would have
0: gone. I'm... Well, is there a list for that? There's nymphomaniacs. Oh, yeah, probably on that list. There's also uterine derangement, which by the way is also the name of my next riot girl album, just so you know. Got what, a title for it? What does it do? <laughs> it's Oh, here is a quote from the time article by Kate Moore. Quote, "Period-related madness was so commonplace that doctors encouraged mothers to delay the onset of their daughter's menzies by making them take cold baths and abstain from Meat and novels. So no meat, no books, and no hot baths. No beef for Bronte. Yeah, fuck that. I think no beef for Bronte is going to be a subtitle. And this is where I wrote, uh, yeah, I'm in a weird mood in my notes. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, there's just so, so much to this. Actually, Kate Moore, who wrote that article I just quoted from time, she has a whole entire book about this. She is the author of the Radium Girls book. Oh! So we are definitely doing an episode on this at some point in time. It's going to take a little while because we've got we've got a lot of things to get through before that. And it's also a 500-page book. When I'm taking notes, the reading takes so much
1: longer. Can we just call that one All the Reasons Amber Would Have Been in the Asylum? And Christy. And, well, all of us <laughs> yes. would have been in the asylum.
0: Yes, and our listeners. <laughs>
1: Probably most of them, the ones with vaginas, at least. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry guys, you're not really included, because they didn't put you away for this.
0: <laughs> so, really, um, I mentioned some kind of torturous aspects. It's definitely going to be a rough read, I think, when we get to that Kate Moore book. I remember her treatment of the radium girls was just heart-wrenching. And, oh, that was, it was a rough read. It was a really good read, but it was a rough read. But just as a couple of examples... One of the cures they would employ upon these women was female genital mutilation. What does that cure? Well, if you don't have something down there that can give you pleasure, Hmm. then, uh, well, we don't want women having pleasure because that's clearly a sign they're insane, even though we'll also at least anecdotally give them pleasure in order to make them less insane. So it's just this whole circular rabbit hole thinking. Um, other horrifying so-called medical treatments. Leeches, anyone on your private parts? Would you like some leeches on what, your private parts? Why on your privates? They're, because they blame, the, they blame the reproductive system, the female reproductive system, for everything wrong with women. Well, you know what? I kind of do too. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm just saying. I kind of do too. But
0: like, ah, no. There's a lot of just horrifying stuff. So it is going to be a rough go I think but we can gird your loins oh the loins all the loins will need to be girded oh get your kegels ready ladies yeah remind me when we do that one so I can be heavily drinking yes absolutely so it's possible that she kind of just leaned into this idea of you know oh hey look I'm not acting right you should probably have me put away because it was pretty easy. Some men, depending on the case, could do it without any actual evidence, depending on the variety of of insanity that the woman was exhibiting, you know, like existing with a vagina. And, or maybe he got worried that she would rat him out, and he used that as a way of getting her out of the way. So really, it could go a couple different ways, or maybe she was just so appalled and upset by the fact that she realized she had married a stone-cold murderer, that she actually did suffer from mental health troubles because that would be troubling. She could have had a nervous breakdown. Absolutely, 100%. So no one in town looked Ward's way. They're all looking at the the Irishman. It was just kind of quiet for him. He sent his wife away to the asylum. And then about a year later, a tin peddler, last name Lovejoy, first name unknown, came and stayed overnight at the tavern. Well, I mean overnight and that he made it to midnight before Ward Axe murdered him. He did make it to midnight. So technically he did stay overnight, but not very long. So Ward did this and then he needed to get rid of the body because unlike the case with Noah Hall, this is in his tavern. This is right where he lives. He's now shitting where he eats. Yeah. So he pulled the legs out of joint and then packed the body into a dry goods box? Just left it in his yard for a few days? Well,
1: so he, he did wrap the pieces in uh, sheets and blankets to prevent the blood from oozing out. Okay, all right, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, and at one point, he hid it under his own bed. Oh, well, that's,
0: that's going to pop up later. Oh, my. So, yeah, then he finally took it on the road, and tossed it in the river 60 miles north of uh, where he was. From this, he got $50. And the peddler's goods, that $50 is $1,900 today. So really just not worth sleeping above a corpse. I just don't think. Didn't seem to bother him. So then he moved to Shelby, which is back north around Mansfield. And he found himself another wife, even though he still had the first one stashed away in an asylum. And he got married to Susan Reese. Again, from the Buffalo Courier, which had a very uh, extensive article on this. With this woman, he seems to have lived on terms of affection. And he says that he had great respect for her. He committed no great crimes during her life. No great crimes. Just mediocre ones. The newspaper also says that she died after he went to Sylvania to live. But if they were so close, why did he leave? I don't get that. The newspapers also said that there were, of course, local rumors that he killed her, which is actually, I believe that. I believe that more than that he got along
1: with anybody. So I, I have the story goes in 1854, they, the couple moved to Sylvania. Oh, okay. All right. They were renting a small one-story building that was both their house and the tailor shop. Susan gave birth to a daughter who died two months later. The baby was buried on the Reese family farm. And then Susan died in 1856 of bilious typhoid fever. Hmm.
0: Well, it's definitely not his style. No. I mean, people did just die of fevers and the wide variety of terrible illnesses that were going around. So I suppose there could have been a death or two that happened around him that actually weren't at his hands. Yeah. And
1: like, I don't know what the baby died of. So it could have also been like mother and baby were both very sick. Mm -hmm. Baby died first and then Susan died because it actually sounds like this marriage might have been legitimate. He might have actually given a shit. I mean,
0: Legitimate in the sense that he gave a shit, not, not in the, in the he... actual marriage being legitimate because that was not the case. No, but... he was a bigamist at this point. <laughs> it was very soon after she passed that he met Olive Davis in nearby Adrian. And it was very soon after that that he proposed to her. The newspapers have him proposing after two or three days. Yep. Two or three days. And then they got married. It was the summer of 1856, so if Susan died, it was the same year that she died. Or if she died. If she died in 1856. Yeah, that's what I had. I don't know yeah. if that's it accurate. It was really hard. I did not find, I don't think, a single person in this case on Find a Grave. I don't know. I feel like
1: I did. I
0: went down some rabbit
1: holes. Uh, no, no, I did not.
0: Yeah. That I, was one of my other cases. I kept on looking and looking. and I found a whole bunch of, like I said, a whole bunch of other return wards on Find a Grave. Just not this one. So he set up shop. Uh, well, he already had his shop as a tailor there in Sylvania. And he and Olive lived in this house. One account says it was 16 by 20. Uh, so kind of kind of close quarters. Now, Sylvania, a little bit about Sylvania, Ohio. It is the city of trees, which makes sense. And uh, Pennsylvania is Penn's woods. Sylvan is woods. 13 miles west of Toledo, right by the Michigan border. And I'm just learning via Sylvania's website that Toledo has a baseball team called the Mud Hens and, quote, fans have flocked to the ball field. Flocked. Flocked. To the Mud Hens. Yep. I didn't make the pun. Somebody else made the pun. But you enjoy it so very much. Well, I'm just relating it to you. I, I didn't claim to enjoy it. Teehee. Hey there, beloved listeners. If you're enjoying this episode, then you absolutely should check out our Patreon.
1: That's patreon.com slash which is the absolute best way you can support the show and get something in return. For just $5 a month,
0: you get five bonus episodes a month.
1: On the Patreon, we frequently talk about old-timey crimes you won't hear about anywhere else. Crimes that have been forgotten by time and erased by history that you won't read about on Wikipedia... Murderpedia, or really anypedia.
0: We also delve into the old newspapers for the wacky wild crimes like the thieving lion tamer and the spaceman intruder.
1: Or talk about strange, delightful customs like Nutting Day while learning about the time people rioted over cheese.
0: So <laughs> We can't even talk about it in our own promo without giggling. I love Nutting Day. Nutting Day is the best day. So come check out the Patreon for more of the weirdest, wildest, and most shocking old-timey crime. That's patreon.com slash crimy. Where's the <laughs> link? In the show notes!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was not going to get through Nutting Day without giggling.
0: So this was Ward's third marriage, if you've been keeping track, and Olive's second. Uh, The paper said, quote, we are told they did not live together pleasantly. And I have a description here of him at this point. Medium height, thick set and florid faced, and his head is somewhat bald. So they went a little easier on him in that description than in yours. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't look for the easy ones. I look for the cutthroat ones. Well, I didn't find that cutthroat one. Otherwise, I would have included it too. I'm not going to hold back on this dude. The thing was, is that she had two children. A nine-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter from her first husband. And Ward could not stand the children. As you can imagine, from the size of their house, the close confines didn't much help and there were very likely money troubles, too. I mean, if you're living in a 16 by 20 structure, I'm going to go ahead and say that you're not doing super great financially. No, no. Olive tried to smooth things over by sending the kids away. Her little boy went to her deceased husband's brother, and her daughter went to live with a friend who resided nearby. But the friend sent the daughter back for reasons that we don't know. After a short stay, this was in the fall of 1856, and it was then that Olive decided it was time to get the hell out of here. So she got both her kids, she headed for the train, and she was planning to travel back to Adrian, Michigan, which was only 25 miles away. Ward noticed she was missing and somehow knew exactly where to look. He wasn't just like, oh, she must have run to the store. He was like, no, that bitch left me. So he went to the train depot. In his own words, quote, I immediately ran down to the depot. I accosted her and asked her what she intended to do. She replied that she was going away. I detained her trunk and as she got into the car, I seized her bonnet and she went off without any clothes except those she had on her person.
1: Yeah. And I love how he's like bragging about it. He's like, listen to what a big dick I am. Oh, exactly. Yes. Very much so. (laughs) Ha ha She
0: was so desperate to leave. Now she'll have none. She's going to have to wear that dress for a month. Yeah. He's uh, either really not picking up on her, you know, get, get the hell away from me signals or he is. And he's ignoring them. So he also hops a train to chase after her. She has something to say about that. He said that she said that she did not like me well enough to live with me. Well, who would? Right? Who the fuck would? So he headed back to Sylvania. Meanwhile, Olive told friends and family that if she went back, he would kill her. But he took her trunk. He took all of her clothes and belongings, probably the children's stuff too, I'm assuming. And so everything's back there and it's not like she has the money to replace it all. And back in Slovenia, Ward is also trying to continue to pull some shit. He actually hires a dude to be his intermediary. He's like, well, she won't listen to me. Maybe she'll listen to you. She won't listen to me, probably because I'm going to like smack her or something, but she won't be afraid of you. He pays this guy, sends him to Adrian, and says, Hey, meet with Olive and tell her that I'll pay for her train fare back if she comes back to me. Well, what a sweetheart deal that is. Well, he actually, through this intermediary, promised to change if she came back, too, though. Again, you can't change him. And she knows that. She is really just coming back to get her shit, essentially. Maybe she's thinking about giving him a second chance, but pretty much as soon as she gets there, she's like, nah, mm -mm, I don't know. This is not happening. So she actually does take the money and hop on the train. On Saturday, January 31st at midnight, he picked her up and they went back to the home. Over the next couple days, she's packing and telling the neighbors that she won't be back. And then she tells Ward, that she's not actually going to stay. This was how he related his feelings upon hearing this. That declaration aroused all the vile passions of my nature. From the moment she uttered it, I was fully resolved that she should never leave my house alive. Things are not looking very good for her, so his vile passions were not quiet. They argued and argued, and finally both went to bed, angry on Tuesday night. Now, in his first telling, she hit him with a lamp on the side of the head and, and the nose. She gave him a bloody nose, and he just took the lamp away, asked her calmly not to strike him, and then went to bed and bled all over the sheets and the feathers. He later admitted that was a lie. Shocking. you're right. The next morning, he woke up, it's 6 a.m., it's February in Ohio, so you better get that fire roaring. He does so, Olive wakes up and joins him, and uh, this is again from his first account of the incident. He says he, quote, spoke to her about the blow she had given me, showing her where she had struck me, also the blood on the bolster and tick, so the parts of the bed from his bleeding nose. Her reply was that she wished he had bled to death, and then she tried to hit him with a stick. And again, he later admitted that any violence on her part was a lie. So, a bunch of bullshit. It really is. And so, he has no provocation whatsoever, but he said later, quote, I had once determined that then and there I would put my resolves into execution. That's a little on the nose as far as phrasing goes. So she's getting ready to leave. She bends down to put on her shoes with her back to him. He grabs an iron, slips up behind her, and then stops. Quote, before I struck the fatal blow, I paused a moment to consider. I felt very strangely. I hesitated to strike, but just then... A movement of her body made it necessary for me to decide at once. My resolution was remembered, and drawing up my arm, I struck her a blow on the right side of her head, near the top, which broke her skull and felled her to the floor. The blood flowed considerably from the wound and from her mouth and nose. She struggled a little and did not speak after I struck her and died in about fifteen minutes just as a forewarning we have coming up here a lot of firsthand description of what he does in this aftermath and it gets pretty descriptive and gory yes <laughs> very descriptive yeah so in another statement the false one probably he claims to have used quote all means in my power to restore her but uh no no. And he says she only spoke once, and that was to say, oh, my Nelly And he was like, I think that means her little girl. And I'm like, how could you not know? Does it or doesn't it? Because we never get, as far as I'm aware, her children's names. Never. Yeah. Now that he's killed her, he's got to hide the body in case anyone comes by. So he wraps her up in two quilts and then pushes the body under the bed, then proceeds to go out to the store and buy a pound of sugar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if he was doing this to try to keep up the ruse. So the night before, Tuesday evening, Olive was at the neighbor's talking with Harriet Nathans. Olive had bought a dozen eggs and said that she was going to make custard pies. And she also said that she was unhappy and leaving for good. Mm -hmm. And then she went home. So I don't know if maybe somewhere in Ward's brain, he's like, Olive said that she's making pie today. I need sugar.
0: Ah, yeah. He's just continuing with whatever he would have done had she still been alive.
1: And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I, I have to go out into the world so they don't think I'm holed up in here. Mm-hmm. And I need to, like, see people and talk to people so that I can lay the groundwork for... Whatever. So when he went to buy the sugar, he actually told the owner of the store, Leba, that he and Olive were going to leave and be gone overnight.
0: Yeah. He was basically like, hey, we're going to
1: head out of town. He's he's not a good criminal. Look, look, listen. (laughs) If anyone listening would like to be a good criminal, the less you say, the better, because The problem here is Ward is like, I should say something, and so he keeps saying things without thinking it through. So now we're telling somebody that we're not gonna be in town, but we're not leaving town. Mm -hmm. So what happens when people see you moving about your house? Because you have a big project at home. Why would you say that? Just don't say anything. It's better to say nothing than to spew a bunch of bullshit and be like confused and not be able to keep the story straight. Don't say things. Or, the better option, say partial truths. Speak in riddles, motherfuckers. Speak in riddles.
0: The best option would be not to kill your wife. Um, but Or that. But, but whatever. Crime happens. Yeah, not killing your wife doesn't really figure into it when it's, Crime tips from Amber. Yeah, no, I'm not going to tell people not to kill their wives. Amber's views do not represent. the views or opinions of old-timey Crappy.
1: I'm just saying, like terms and conditions apply. <laughs> going out for the sugar to complete the custard pie story. That is smart. Because it's it's staying on brand with how you would have normally reacted. Spewing a bunch of things about going out of town. Mm-hmm. No. Don't do that. Oh, I need the sugar, olives baking pie. See you later. That's all you had to say. I don't know where this other shit came from.
0: Just keep it simple. Or even just Buying the sugar and not saying even why you need it. They don't need to know. They're going to probably guess that somebody is baking something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not bathing in it. Maybe you are. You don't mm-hmm. know what he's into.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I mean. Hmm. He's using it as an exfoliation <laughs> to get the blood off of the skin. Hey,
0: there you go. Actually, that's pretty good. It so- works, actually. I have sugar <laughs> scrubs. Yeah. So he tells the grocer that and... He says later in his account, when he's trying to figure out how to hide this, what do I do? Quote, With my guilt and fear of detection ever before me, my situation was not to be envied. To which I say, oh, boo-hoo! You uh, killed her. You did this. You brought this upon you.
1: I was so stressed out of how I was going to have to get rid of the body.
0: God, it was just so much stress of how I was going to have to deal with this fact that I killed my wife and then try to not be caught for it. What could I have possibly done in the past so that I wouldn't be in this situation? Oh, can't think of anything. I got nothing. Burn the house down. Just burn the house down. Right? Right. So next comes the sequence of events that would lead the media to call this, quote, a murder most foul and unnatural. For so many murderers, the first instinct, for some reason, is fire. Now, you said burn the house down. As you know, he doesn't quite go that far. I know, but it would have been easier. It, well, it would have been something. Um, <laughs> it would have been a lot less than what's about to come. So he, uh, he's got a, a wood stove. And uh, decides to go about this in a piecemeal manner because, I mean, she's an entire human being. And so you got to go bit by bit. The wood stove's not
1: very big. Yeah.
0: So he strips her. And then he disembowels her. And then he starts burning her organs. And then we get this beautiful quote. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. This is how we deal with it. As they got hot, they appeared to fill with wind and explode, making so much noise in their confined situation that I feared the neighbors would hear and I should be exposed. And then he does what I call popping the balloons. Uh, What Amber calls, go ahead. What are your show notes titled? (laughs) My show notes are called Pokey Pokey, no Plody Plody. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Don't want those kidneys to explode. Jesus.
1: Well, it was making such a ruckus that you had to like stab everything to poke air holes in. Think about oh. like microwaving uh, a bag of vegetables and you know how it does the scream yeah. if, you, if you didn't poke it? You gotta poke the holes, but with body parts.
0: You're making it worse though. <laughs> I was trying to make it better. I'm also really
1: hungry. <laughs>
0: We're always really hungry when we do this. I'm actually not hungry for once. I did have lunch. I don't normally. All right, a couple hours go by, and the bowels are burned, so it's time to move up the body. He removes the heart, lungs, liver, and tosses them into the fire, and at least has the, I'm not going to call it decency, but at least has the something to call it, quote, disgusting work. Yeah, just reading about this and is disgusting work.
1: I'm actually really surprised he went that route, and I don't know if it's just the way that I think, but, like, the organs are very wet. I would save those for
0: last. You keep on making it worse. This is why you love me. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's still also uh, just keeps getting getting grosser and grosser, and you're you're not helping. Well, so like, it's a
1: small stove. You can only do piecemeal, right? Mm-hmm. I would do the head and the hands, the most I- identifying things. This is
0: pre fingerprints, so and also probably pre dental records. There had been at least one case of somebody being, a body being identified by dental records, but that was a famous general in the Revolutionary War, General Joseph Warren, the man that my hometown is named after. So. I
1: would still do head and hands, though. And I
0: mean, if you're sectioning things off, those are some of the smallest, like, automatic yeah, sections. see how they burn. Well, yeah, no. Um, so, and then, of course, there's the issue of blood. He basically scoops it up with his hands to fill the kettle, and then, I guess, dumps that somewhere. Then uses her clothing to mop up the rest, then tosses the clothes in the stove. This house has to be a charnel house. Oh my god. And then it's on to the limbs! He cuts off the legs, then cuts them in half. He puts them in a wash boiler that was attached to the stove. That was pretty much the same routine with the arms. Then he goes to town on her collarbone, breastbone, and some of the ribs, adding them to the boiler bit by bit. Again, we have some noises here. He said that the ribs cracked pretty loudly and noted that the neighbors seemed to have heard. But no one came over to ask any questions, so he kept going. He tried to take the head off, but was unable to do so, quote, so I put the whole upper portion of the body into the boiler. This is a, an absolute butcher. It's... Ugh, ugh. And then he took the boiler, covered it with a cloth, and put it under the bed, and went to sleep, not on the bed. Thank God. It's just horrifying. There's already blood in the bed, by there, the way. There's because- blood everywhere. It's a 16 by twenty. 20- what room? Yeah. Like There's blood everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Thursday, the next day he's out in town again, he's at the grocers again, and he's not following Amber's advice. He says, oh, by the way, my wife left me. You know, again. He said she went off to California. Now this was a little confusing until I did a little bit more research into it, realizing the time period. Um, one account said that she went to California on eastbound cars, and I, if you don't know anything about American geography, California is actually pretty far west of Ohio, but the thing is, the Transcontinental Railroad wouldn't be finished for another 12 years, so there was as yet no direct route across the country. One of the more, more common ways of getting from the east coast or the Midwest you know, to California was to... Take a boat on the Atlantic down to the isthmus of Panama, where as of just two years prior, you could hop on to the Panama Railway and then hop a steamer up to San Francisco. So you basically had to go around the bottom of North America. But this was a very expensive trip and definitely not something that she could have afforded.
1: She had to borrow the $10 fare to come back. Like,
0: yeah. And uh, that people noticed this. People started really thinking, okay, something's wrong here. Or, as it was said in the time, quote, it was determined that the affair should be thoroughly sifted. He goes and hangs out at his niece's house. She's all grown up and married. And has dinner, then heads the next morning over back to his house to do more disgusting, horrifying, grisly work. He spends the day cutting flesh from various bones, And tossing the flesh into the fire. And all I could think of at this point, and I can't believe it took me this long, was it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And you haven't thought of the smell, you bitch! So there is actually something interesting that started happening during all
1: of this. So you had mentioned he went to the store again. Mm -hmm. He turned Leba, the owner of the store, into a one-man detective show. And I don't know if you had seen this little
0: backstory. I just saw hints of it, so go, go for it.
1: So, Leba is like, something is weird. And he and his wife, Laura, Laura said she was woken up by unusual noises coming from the house next door. She heard them again around 10 p.m., 11 and 1. She said it sounded like somebody was chopping meat with an axe. Uh It was the next morning that Ward had come for the second time to the store And Leba had asked about Olive. Ward said that she had left him again to go to California. He also said that she had taken the train on Tuesday night. So Leba goes, this isn't what you said before. You have a good day. Immediately leaves and goes to talk to the station master at the train. Nobody from town got on a train Tuesday night. So this is all bullshit. So then he heads to the tavern across the street from Ward's house. He talks to the tavern's owner, Stephen Porter. Porter said that even though Ward has, has the curtains closed, they only cover the top half of the, of the window, and he could see somebody moving about, and it looked like scrubbing inside. As these two men are talking, Leba and Stephen, Ward comes outside with a large metal tub of water, question mark, And dumped it into the backyard. The two men could clearly see it was bloody-looking water. Oh, my God. And then that same afternoon, Porter, the tavern owner across the street, said that there were large volumes of thick black smoke issuing from Ward's chimney. Yep. And we're going to hear that a lot more because this was no Burger King smell. No, 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 no,
0: no. You haven't thought
1: of the smell, you bitch. But I just love that. Like, the the, the general store owner is like, this sounds fishy. Let me go talk to everybody in town. I
0: think (laughs) there's something about being a general store owner at that point in time that you kind of have to be, like, a nosy Nelly, you know? Like, it's just part and parcel of the whole gig because you know everybody in town. So you know everybody's business. If you're a certain type of person, you're going to get involved and you're maybe going to solve a murder or two. Yeah, never know. As Ward is doing this, he's taking the ashes out behind the house. He said that he sifted out the larger pieces of bone remaining, put them in his pockets, and then distributed them throughout the fields in town at various times.
1: (laughs) I'm just picturing, like, the the Andy Dufresne from Shawshank, where he's, like, shaking his pockets (laughs) to get the shit out as he's walking around town.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, so then another night spent at his niece's house, and then it's the weekend. Word is getting around town, probably thanks to Leba, largely. And, you know, people suspect that Olive did not in fact go east to California, and that they're suspicious of him. So he's kind of starting to get antsy, as he realizes that everybody has their eyes on him. The gross smelling smoke that you mentioned that's coming from his chimney, also not helping. He's also getting wood shavings from the local shops, and this wasn't mentioned anywhere, but I just imagine that he's probably getting a lot of them in order to continue providing material for burning of the body, and so that's probably raising some eyebrows. It, it was. I actually did see that
1: somewhere. One of the, the places that he was getting wood chips said that he got, like, five times more than he would normally get over a winter.
0: hmm Because you need... He's burning continuously this body for days on end. Not a lot of that body is flammable, you know. Some of it is, but not a lot of it. So you need to provide the actual burning material. (sighs) So they actually come and they search his place. I do believe that the first search was performed by the constable. And he didn't even try. Oh, no, no, no. There was no trying whatsoever. If there had been phones, he would have been phoning it in. He was telegramming it in. Uh, I think there were telegrams. So he... This place was covered in blood. It's 16 by 20, and somehow you missed the boiler full of body parts stashed under the bed. You don't even look under the bed? The bloody bed? He
1: probably just, like, opened the door. He's like, it stinks in here. You're fine. See ya.
0: (laughs) Yeah, really. He said he would be back to look around some more after finding absolutely nothing. And so then Ward tries to go back to his nieces, but her whole family is keeping him out because they've all gotten word and they all think he did something to Olive. Time is ticking by and he hears that there's another search planned for Monday morning and it's Saturday night now. Uh, So he spends another night in his tiny house with his wife's dismembered, half-burned corpse and, you know, just... Hanging out. Thinks on it. He spends Sunday doing some more burning. Turns out there is no search Monday or through the rest of the week. I attribute that to the fact that the locals were not happy with the constable's performance in the search before. And so they were like, we're going to go search the house. We're going to go search the house. And there was a lot of, you know, law enforcement tamping down on that because they were afraid of maybe vigilante justice happening.
1: Which I think it would have.
0: Or anybody realizing that they sucked at their jobs. Also that. Yeah, that would be good. So he said, quote, of this extra time he was granted, meantime, I had abundant leisure to remove any bloodstains or other traces of the murder which remained. But people are really starting to uh, talk. And so finally, finally, two weeks, almost, after she was last seen in Adrian. They search Ward's house again for any sign of Olive. They also put out a warrant and arrest him while they're searching. But since they don't find anything, somehow they have to let him go again. If it's ordinary citizens all doing this, I guess props for trying. They seem to be trying harder than the constable, at least. So on Monday, February 16th, They search again for a third time in the home of this man who dismembered his wife's body piece by piece by piece by piece and burned it all. And finally, they find something. I mean, maybe this was the first time they tried doing it without a blindfold? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I was starting when I was doing my notes, I was starting to incorporate some sort of joke about, you know, like... It got way too complicated and started to not be funny and not make sense. Like, you'd have to, like, pull it apart like a butterfly to figure it out. But it was, like, about, like, spicing up the marriage with blindfolds or something. And I I, I, I shut that down. (laughs) Just so you know, every once in a while I want people to know. Sometimes I think of stupid jokes and I don't say them. (laughs) I usually just say whatever I'm going to say anyway. You can't stop me. I, well, I also, I, I, I didn't say were they playing pin the tail on the corpse parts before, so, but I did say it now. They go back behind the house, and they look through the piles of ashes, and they do find some bone fragments that he missed, including a large part, the vast majority actually, of her upper jaw, and some skull, and quote, two finger rings, which were recognized as those worn by Mrs. Ward. I love his reaction to that.
1: How I missed such a big piece of bone. Man. Yeah. He was like, I don't know how
0: I missed that. I was sifting. There was sifting happening. Oh, what he said after that. He said, you know, I, I can't tell how I, uh, such a large piece of bone escaped my notice. I continued steadily to deny any knowledge of my wife's death. But the people of Sylvania had made up their minds that I was guilty. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because you are. You so are! (laughs) They also find evidence that he'd burnt all her belongings. And then they found, literally, blood in the marriage bed. Quote, on opening the bolster and bed, the feathers were found covered with blood. So I'm thinking either her body rested there or he put... she fell there when he hit her. That must have been where she landed, probably, in the bed. Because I don't obviously buy his story about her hitting him with the lamp and everything. No, that never happened. So now he's actually under arrest, and they have an examination, uh, and the papers report that, quote, the justice's office was crowded to suffocation, and the excitement is tremendous throughout the township. He does actually confess. He's really pulling for uh, a life sentence instead of death. You're in the wrong time period for that, bud. They get him in the courtroom. There's a trial, because even though he confesses, he still apparently pleads not guilty. After 11 days, he is found guilty, and then also confesses to those other two murders in the early 1850s. Because why not? May as well, yeah. His attitude regarding this this is from the Buffalo Courier, he certainly was one of the most dangerous murderers that the country has ever produced. His murder of Hall and the Peddler are two of the most remarkable murders on record, and evince a coolness, a want of sensibility, and a want of conscience, which it is rare to find in any human being. Since he has been in jail, he has shown the same peculiarities. It was easy to excite his sympathies, easy to make him weep by referring to his situation or to his friends easy to make him acknowledge that his sentence was just and that his country had a right to take his life. But he evinced no feeling of penitence for his crimes, expressed no sympathy for his victims, and felt no remorse of conscience for what he had done. Whatever feeling or sorrow he exhibited was for his own situation and not on account of any wrong that he had committed.
1: Well, and that was the thing. He didn't feel like he did anything wrong in any of this.
0: Yeah, this is all I'm sorry I got caught that's what it is. So of course he is sentenced to death by hanging. He does appeal that because he was like the whole point of me confessing was to not have to hang and they're like oh that's too bad because you're gonna you're gonna hang. Now some accounts have phrenologists checking out his head bumps. The very reliable and not racist at all uh, pseudoscience of phrenology. But they cite the Buffalo Courier which just says that quote his prevailing characteristic seems to have been what phrenologists call secretiveness. So I think that's a misinterpretation of what the paper said there. I don't think he had an examination. I just think that they're referring to the study of phrenology just in an attempt to, you know, like, keep with the times. Yeah, I didn't see anything about that. Yeah. At age 42 in June 1857, he is taken to the gallows. He had, in his own words, "quote, sought in my extremity the consolations of religious, have had my sins washed away by baptism, have partaken of the body and blood of Christ in the holy Eucharist, and shall die in the faith of the Catholic Church." I'm just remembering when we had the priest kiss a little while back. There was the priest kiss too, and apparently he did it. (laughs) That, didn't turn his head away. He said, "quote, I am not afraid to die." Then he just com- prayed and confessed and babbled. His last words were, quote, Oh my God, I am thine. Thou art mine. To which I say, watch out, God. And God's like, Mm-mm, yeah. "Yeah." when this guy declares something, is his. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hmm, not a good way to end. Speaking of endings, he had pretty much an instantaneous death. From one of those who witnessed it, quote, The incoherent ravings, the nervous and excited appearance of the murderer on the gallows, the still white form of the slowly swinging body, none of those who were present will ever forget. So I will say
1: he, he did hang there for half an hour before they decided to cut him down. Yeah, they like, they like to make a little show of it. Yeah, nobody claimed the body, and so it was turned over to two
0: Catholic priests,
1: and he was laid to rest in a plain wooden box.
0: Which explains why we can't find him in the find a grave. Yeah, probably in an unmarked one. And then we have... Ghost stories. Ooh. Alright, so in Ghost Hunting, Ohio, John Kachuba talks about going to a restaurant in Sylvania that is either at or near the location of Olive's murder. The owner told him some stories. This is hilarious. This killed me. Alright. Oh. Three gunshots sounded one afternoon when a waitress was in the ladies' room. And uh, this from John Kachuba, she quote, Saw the lock on the door turn, the door opened by itself, and then slammed shut. Two other doors in the hallway where the ladies' room is located also slammed shut. Jerry, the owner, said that the terrified waitress came running out to the kitchen with her pants around her knees. She quit and has never been back to the restaurant since that day. Wow. That's a rough day at work. I wouldn't go back either. I would have pulled my pants up though. <laughs> it's hard to run when they're down. It is, yeah. And then there are, of course, the standard cold breezes, uh, especially around the ladies' room, which my question is is this a restaurant bathroom or a sheets bathroom? Because they are Arctic cold yeah if it's ever a nice like hot july day and you need to cool down sheets bathroom is your go-to because you will have hypothermia within two minutes of walking in there they do that on purpose oh yeah to keep people from doing drugs in there yeah yeah Mm -hmm. says a lot about our area unfortunately oh so yeah you have that you have music playing footsteps giggling children black figures in the dining room furniture movie moving the table being set with wine glasses Uh, and then my favorite, this is a mischievous ghost. Okay. Health inspector came by one day. He went in to check the freezer. The door slammed behind him and locked. There was no lock on the freezer. He couldn't open the door. Huh. So messed with the health inspector. (laughs) So it seems like this is a nice ghost. If it exists, um, I never know how much to believe these, but there are quite a few tales, and, hell, that's not that far. We could go out there someday, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Although, Ohio, I'm sorry, but you're just, you're too flat. I was born and bred in the hills and the valleys and the hollers, Amber, and the hollers. And the hollers. I'm, I'm cool with the flat. I can't good stand the flat. I need hills. I'd like to feel protected. I like to feel like there's something around me just enclosing me in a safe place. So that all the water can be there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. All right. I have actually a recipe for you. Uh Uh-oh. That that is not one that I found, but one that one of our stalwart and wonderful listeners found. This is actually a sort of family recipe that has gone around their family Oh my gosh, I'm all of a sudden like getting tons of spam in the old timey crimey, so I have to scroll down past like 10. Oh, so I should stop using that for porn. <laughs> Please do, yes. And why does your porn start sending me Bible verse spam? Uh, what kind of porn are you watching? That wasn't me then. <laughs> Actually, no, I did. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Julie Faust, and she sent us an email how much she loves our show. Yay! <laughs> She's called us like... A crime podcast tale of Goldilocks. She listened to our Paula Jean Weldon case and she was, she was really uh, interested in that. And she like, found like one she didn't like and another she didn't like. And then we were right in the middle. We were just right. <laughs> so thank you for that, Julie. And so she said that this recipe came to mind immediately. She found it in her great grandmother's copy of the 1933 edition of the Detroit Times Cookbook. And so the thing about this is there's some context that might change how we view the recipe depending on what we think of the recipe book's authors. So she says, in all of the rest of the recipes in the meat section, if a recipe calls for cooked meat, the recipe specifies cooked meat. If the recipe calls for uncooked meat, it is referred to as just meat, or by the name of the meat needed like beef or chicken, but does not use raw or uncooked as a qualifier. This recipe that she sent us refers to meat with no qualifier, as if it called for raw meat. Oh, good. Now, she thinks this is probably, as she says, an oversight, uh, as, as I doubt the Detroit Times intended to encourage its readers to eat, quote, jellied raw meat. But I have always pictured some poor soul being served a plate of raw chicken jello. Hey, you never know.
1: There is actually like places are doing chicken sushi where it's raw
0: chicken. That's so dangerous. Don't ever do it, listeners. Right. So here is the jellied meatloaf recipe. I have to tilt my head because I can't get it to turn. All right, so um, chicken, veal, beef, or ham. Uh, you're you going to chop the meat. You've got some soup stock, granulated gelatin, cold water, chopped onion, and then chopped celery green or red pepper chopped and chopped parsley. Soften gelatin in cold water for five minutes. Boil soup stock and add to gelatin. Chill. When gelatin mixture starts to stiffen, add the chopped meat and chop, chopped onions, pepper, and parsley. Chill a loaf mold, turn in the mixture, and allow it to become perfectly stiff by chilling. Remove from mold, slice, and serve. Thinned gravy may be used in place of the soup stock. Gravy jello It's essentially gravy Jello with chopped meat and some chopped veggies. I'd probably eat it. You probably would. Yeah. One of these days you're, you're going to say that and I'm going to have like a recipe. I'm like, oh, you we would? Well, good, because it's right here. <laughs> I'll try anything twice. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Julie and listeners. You too can join in the disgusting recipe fun. Uh, just go over to newspapers.com or the Chronicling America on the Library of Congress and search for recipes. If you want to search for particular things, you can search for like gelatin recipes or fish is always really interesting. They did some crazy stuff with oysters occasionally. And so, yeah, and then send it to oldtimmycrimey at gmail.com. And uh, it might end up on the show. And then you'll also get put into a drawing for some merch, including a treacherous tart apron. Treacherous tart. <laughs> Which is just so perfect. It is. So uh, I would like to thank those of you who have been rating us over on Spotify, seeing the number go up just incrementally. But I'm enjoying it. it. Makes me happy. And a welcome to our new listeners. We know we have some. So hello to all of you. I think we have some new French listeners. Because we had an ad on a French podcast. So bonjour. (laughs) I'm not even going to (laughs) try. Just leave it to me. I do not want (laughs) to offend. (laughs) So, yes. Thank you all for listening. Come to our social media where you can see me being lazy. Uh, (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are old-timey, crimey. There's lots of links in the show notes for ways you can contact or support us. Including the Patreon and such. Uh, So go ahead and just, you know... Go to town on those, support, say hello, whatever. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's all I got because uh, my back hurts. And I want to hop the bath. So <laughs> what are you up to this week, Amber?
1: I I am going to try to drink more, I think.
0: Okay. Is, that's... is what I should do. Goals are goals, you know? Everybody should have them.
1: So, like, I don't, I don't take a lot of time for myself, and so I think I'm going to start doing that more. Um, and hopefully it involves, uh, either more drinking or more masturbating. Something, (laughs) something's got to give, man. I need, I need some mental health time.
0: Oh, I'm going to get so much more spam to the old tummy crummy Gmail. All about my vagina. (laughs) I am getting acupuncture tomorrow for my back that I've been complaining about for a long time and my hips. You want to know what I'm going to be thinking about all day tomorrow? Needles in my face. Pokey pokey, no plody plody. Oh, God. Thank you for relating that to this. Appreciate it. You're yeah. welcome. I hope your back feels better. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. I hope it's just pokey pokey and no plody plody. No plody plody. <laughs> so I'm excited to try that and see if it helps me out. And yeah, just going to be enjoying my last week in my 30s. Ah! It's okay.
1: It's all right. Just gets better all the time. You're younger than me. You don't know that. I don't.
0: (laughs) You're a liar.
1: No, it's just, I mean, I feel like things get better every year. Granted, we're more tired. Um,
0: Yes. In more pain. (laughs)
1: Take many more baths. You know what? You're right. Fuck this. Let's go back to 27, 29. That was pretty good. I mean, there was
0: was a lot more drama (laughs) in our lives. That was pretty fun, though. Yeah, it was interesting. Never really knew what was going to happen around the corner. Never knew what each day would bring. All right. I do believe that's everything. Listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us for this time of talking about crimes of your, And we will see you next week. And don't, uh, don't tell anybody things you don't have to tell them when you're buying sugar. Don't explode the kidneys in the stove. You gotta pokey-pokey. You gotta pokey-pokey so you don't splody-splody. All right, and bye! Bye! My sources this week are Dan Radabaugh on History Mystery Man, the City of Sylvania website, Jerry Walton, MIGS Genealogy, Ghost Hunting Ohio by John Kachuba, Lunacy in the 18th Century, Women's Admission to Asylums in the United States of America by Catherine Puba and Ashley Tianan, Kate Moore in Time, The Ward Family Genealogy by Doris R. Sheraton, where it right out says in return ward's section of that he was a serial killer can you imagine finding that in your family history you go back to look at your family tree and you're like oh. oh and from newspapers.com thank you chris garcia the state and union the carol free press and the buffalo courier uh my
1: sources this week were psycho usa by harold Schechter. thank you paul janet by alex topico and jerry Walton.com.